I want to read just a couple of verses of Scripture before we leave this place today. God has placed, pressed firmly in my heart. It's in Genesis 23. Genesis 23 occurs between that great chapter, Genesis 22, where Abraham goes up the mountain to offer his only son whom he loves, Isaac. It is a prophetic picture of the Lord Jesus Christ being offered by God the Father. Genesis 23 occurs just before that great chapter of Genesis 24 when Abraham sends out a servant to find a bride for his son. And God has sent the Holy Spirit out to find a bride for his son, Jesus Christ. And between those two mountaintops of prophecy, Genesis 22 and 24, you'll find Genesis 23. There's a valley there, and in that valley there is a field. And I say to you that it is the field of faith that we see in Genesis 23. In verse 1, the Bible says, And Sarah was a hundred and seven and twenty years old. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died in Kirjoth Arba, the same as Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Abraham stood up from before his dead and spake unto the sons of Heth, saying, I am a stranger and a sojourner with you. Give me a possession of a burying place with you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. Let's skip down to verse 9 that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he hath, which is in the end of his field. For as much money as it is worth, he shall give it me for possession of a burying place amongst you. Do you see what's happened in this chapter? Abraham, the man of faith, his wife has passed away. And now here is Abraham grieving broken. May I say to you that this man is in a place that he's weeping and is mourning. When I look in this text, I think first of all about Abraham's passion. Do you see his passion in this text? The Bible says in verse number two of this wonderful chapter that he came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. What about the passion that he had over his wife? Did you realize there are people that say, oh, he's faithless. I mean, when he came to offer his son Isaac in Genesis chapter 22, he didn't cry a tear. Did you realize when God spoke to him in the land of Ur and he left behind his father and all his family, there's not one tear. Why is he not crying in those positions, but now when his wife dies, he is crying? I'll tell you why. Because there is a real difference between doing the will of God and suffering the will of God. Would you say that the father of faith is faithless because he's weeping at the graveside of his precious wife? Oh, no. 
God didn't say he was faithless. What about that woman who came and anointed the Lord Jesus Christ and washed his feet with her tears and let down her hair to dry his feet? Would you say she was faithless? Jesus didn't. He said that his, her faith had saved her and that she was to go in peace. Oh, what about those uh, Ephesian elders that when they uh, saw Paul for the last time, they began to weep profusely knowing it would be the last time they would ever see Apostle Paul. Do you think they were faithless? What about Jesus when he came to the tomb of Lazarus? And my Bible says Jesus wept. Was the Son of God faithless? Oh, no, dear friends. He had faith. I'm just telling you, when Abraham was called to leave Ur of the Chaldees, he had a choice. He could say, oh, yes, I'm going with God, or no, I'm not going. And he didn't weep a tear. When he came to his son Isaac, he had a choice whether to take him up on that mountain or disobey God. He didn't weep a tear. But when God came to take his wife Sarah, he didn't have a choice. He couldn't argue with God about it. He couldn't hold his breath. There was nothing he could do. It was out of his control. And the father of faith is broken. Do you see his passion? Do you see the love that he had? May I say to you this morning, there is a time to weep. There is a time when there's not a word that can be spoken that will heal your situation. There is a time to mourn. There is a time that all you can do is just weep bitter tears of brokenness. And the only person that can help you get through those times is the Lord Jesus Christ. God the Father understands those tears. When I think about the book of 2 Kings, chapter number 20, and in verse number 5, God gives us a word in 2 Kings chapter 20 and verse number 5 about tears. Hezekiah was laying on a deathbed. Maybe this morning, it's not a death in your family. It's been like a death. You've got a trial. You've got trouble. You've got sorrow. You are suffering the will of God. You didn't choose to go through this. This was just handed to you. You've had to deal with it. It's been like a death to you. Although it's not a death, it has broken your heart. And left you without a choice. And now you're crying. Does it mean you're faithless because you're crying? Oh no. It's because you're suffering the will of God. Preacher Aaron, I don't think suffering the will of God would cause anyone to weep. You wait till you get there one day. And you don't have a choice. You and I, every one of us, you're going to go through something at some point in time that's absolutely going to break your heart. It is absolutely going to tear your heart to pieces. In 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 5, Hezekiah has been told he's going to die. He's laying on his deathbed, and he begins to pray. And God sends Isaiah back to him. Turn again and tell Hezekiah, the captain of my people, thus saith the Lord, the God of David thy father. I have heard thy prayer. Say amen if you're glad to know God heard your prayer. I have seen thy tears. 
Behold, I will heal thee. Hey, this morning, you're suffering the will of God. God has seen your tears. God has heard your prayers. I'm just thinking back to the Garden of Eden. And God told Adam and Eve, Eve for their sin. God said, I'm going to curse the ground for thy sake. For thy sake. It almost makes me wonder if God didn't allow these troubles and trials and hardships, difficulties to come into your life so that you don't get attached to this world. We are pilgrims and strangers passing through. We should never get attached to this world. And now here is Abraham saying that my wife has gone the way of the earth and her body is laying here and he's broken as he sits there beside her graveside, as he sits there beside her lifeless body. Do you see his passion? For what he's going through. When I look in this text in Genesis 23. I not only see his passion. But I see his perception. Now I pray this will be a help to you. What does Abraham do. When he's behind, beside his lifeless body. The lifeless body of his wife. He's whip, weeping and mourning bitter tears. He is broken. He spends much time in that place, in the passion. I mean, the wife that he's cared for and that he's loved, that he prayed with, that he worshiped with, that he served God with all these years has been taken from him. And he's crushed. What does he do after some time? See his perception in verse 3. And Abraham, these are all going to start with the letter S. And Abraham stood up from before his dead and spake unto the sons of Heth. What did he do? Did Abraham stay in that place and say, This grief has hit me. This sorrow has flooded me. I have been so crushed by this difficulty and this trial that I'm going to stay right here for the rest of my life. I'm going to continue to be broken. I'm going to continue to be sorrowful. I'm never getting over it. This has crushed my dreams and I'm going to stay right here. I cannot move past it. What did the father of the faith do? The Bible said he stood up from before his dead. There's a time to mourn. There's a time to weep. But there's a time to stand up. There's a time to get up and say, Ah, my, my wife's body is laying here and I'm broken. I don't think I'm ever going to recover. But then I look to God and I know that my wife is with the Lord and I know that God's in charge of all situations and I think I'm just going to stand up and praise God for a little while. There is a time for you to stand back up in the middle of sorrow. Not only did he stand, look with me what he did in verse number 4. He spoke. Look what he said. He said, I am a stranger and a sojourner with you. That's what he said. That's what he spoke. He said, I'm just a stranger. 
I'm a sojourner. I'm a pilgrim. I'm passing through. I'm not aiming to stay here, amen. I'm aiming to leave this place. I knew, God told me, I'm not meant to stay on this earth forever. Man, when they were singing a minute ago about glory, I about come unglued off that front row. I thank God this morning that I have a home to go to, amen. This world and its trouble, this world and its sorrow, it's not my home, amen. I'm on my way out of here. Look what else he did. He says, give me a possession of my burying place with you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. Out of my sight. There's a word, S, sight. Out of my sight. What's he saying? I can't stand to look at her no more. I can't be around her. It's not what he's saying. Here's what he knows. The wife that I've served with all these years is now lifeless. She's dead. Her soul is with the Lord in paradise. And I can't look at the lifeless body of my wife anymore. I've got to bury her out of my sight. Here I think what he's saying. Look with me in the next chapter, if you have your Bible, at the next time Sarah's name is mentioned in the Bible. The next time her name is mentioned, Sarah, my master's wife, bare a son to my master when she was old, and unto him hath he given all that he hath. He mentions her name, next mention, in connection to life. You can look at the next mention of her name in verse 67. It's a connection to life. Hey, he said her body may be dead, but the way I'm seeing it, my viewpoint from this place is I'm going to stand up, I'm going to speak the oracles of God, I'm going to go forward by faith, and I'm going to tell you that my wife is with the Lord in paradise, and so shall I be with the Lord one day myself. You, to get through this trouble, to get through this sorrow, to get through this situation, you must have the right viewpoint. You must have the right perception of what's going on in this situation. And I'm telling you, there is something that has come into your life that has decimated you, and the devil says, I've got you now, I've defeated you, and you're playing right into it. You're down and out and you're allowing it to crush you. And God said, you get up in that pulpit and you tell those people, it's time to stand up and praise me. It's time to see it the way I see it. It's time to serve God. It's time to move forward. Preacher, you've not been through what I've been through. Abraham went through it, honey, and he served God through it. I'm just telling you, the Lord wants your attention. Thirdly, I see Abraham's possession. And I'm done right here. The Bible says in verse number 9 of chapter 23, he speaks about a possession. It is a field. He says it uh, again um, in verse 4, verse 9, verse 18, and verse 20. A possession. What is this possession? He's purchasing the field where he's going to bury his wife at. Let's talk about this possession for just a one second. The possession that he has is not just a piece of land, a field. The possession that he has is faith. The faith that gets you through this problem, 
you will never, ever forget. It is worth infinite amount of money. You'll never forget who gets you through this problem. Let's talk about it for a second. This burying place, this field, this, this possession that he's acquired, it'll be a help to others. Preacher dear, what do you mean? I'm thinking about a girl by the name of Leah. So her uh, her uh, daddy had a young man come into their home and said, I love Rachel and I want to marry her. And I'll serve you seven years. And he did serve seven years. And when they got to the marriage altar, her daddy didn't give Rachel's hand. He gave Leah's hand. And now that young man, Jacob, has married the wrong girl. Oh, and he's mad. He's been tricking everybody else, but now he's been deceived. Oh, he's mad about it. And he says, I'll serve you seven more years for Rachel. I love Rachel. But now he's married two sisters. God bless that boy. God bless that boy. And the Bible tells us that with Leah, he had little ones. But with Rachel, he had love. When um, Leah had her firstborn child, she named him Reuben, which means now will my husband love me. You know what Leah wanted her whole life? She wanted her husband by her side. That's what she wanted. She bore him four children. Boom, 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 boom. And then finally Rachel said, take my handmaid, marry her, Bilhah. And then uh, Leah said, take my handmaid, marry her, Zilpah. Had children with them. Now he's got four women. God bless that old boy. He's got 12 boys and a daughter with those four women. I'm telling you, he's got a mess at home. And all Leah wanted is to have Jacob by her side. She spent her lifetime wanting Jacob by her side. I'm telling you, you've spent your lifetime. This is how you want it. But God doesn't always give you what you want. He gives you what he wants in his life, in your life. I'm going to tell you what happened. My Bible says that Rachel... She bare, she bore Joseph, and then she bore Benjamin, and as she was bearing that baby, she died. And they buried her by the side of the road in Bethlehem. Leah lived on. And when Leah died, guess where Jacob buried her? Jacob buried her in the possession, the field of his grandfather, Abraham. Now Leah is buried there, and when Jacob died, Jacob was buried right beside her. And some golden daybreak, when the Lord comes back, they're going to wake up side by side, and Leah's going to say, All my life, I desired this moment, and shazam, I finally got him. And she got him in the possession of, of the field of faith that Abraham purchased. I'm thinking about Joseph. You remember Joseph's story? His brother sold him into slavery of Egypt. He thought it was a game. Boys, boy, hey, boy, hey, this ain't funny no more. Fellas, fellas, this ain't, fellas, listen, this is for real. No, boys, don't do this to me. And they were, he's gone. He became a slave, imprisoned. And his brother said, good riddance. And their daddy wept and cried and wept and cried. 
And finally, one day, Joseph was raised to be the governor of Egypt. And in a famine, his brothers have to come back to the land and bow their knee before their brother. Had he revealed to them that I am Joseph, your brother. God meant this for good. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And all those years they stayed with Joseph. Joseph said, one day, God will visit you. And when he does, I'll probably be dead and gone. Don't leave my body buried in Egypt. I want you to take my bones and take them to the promised land and bury them in the field of faith, the cave of Machpelah that Abraham, my forefather, bought for our family. And after 400 years, after 10 plagues, Pharaoh says, Moses, take the children of Israel out of here. And they got everything together. And Moses called a special committee meeting and said, you boys will be the bearers of bones. Go get the body of Joseph, the former governor of the land. Can you see sometimes I think my ministry is to be the bearer of bones. Sometimes I preach and your faces are so bored and you're just about ready to bust out of here and take a big old nap or say, preacher, dear God, let us go so we can eat some lasagna. I'm telling you, honey, somebody had to be the bearer of bones. And don't forget, as they're carrying those bones, how they walked across, amen, the Red Sea, bearing the bones. Look like we could drop them off anywhere. What's your duty? God's giving me a special job, y'all. I am the bearer of bones. Hallelujah to God. May I say that they disobeyed God and 40 years, y'all, 40 years they were in the wilderness. But guess who they took with them everywhere they went? The bearer of bones. The bearer of bones. And there came a time. Even Moses has passed off the scene. And now they're going to cross the Jordan River. And they carry the Ark of the Covenant. And they carry the bones of Joseph. And when they come into the land, they bury Joseph's bones. And that field of faith that Abraham had purchased so many years before. You may say, preacher, it's not very important. Honey, I'm telling you what you go through and the faith you exhibit, it will be a blessing to Aaliyah. It will be a blessing to a Joseph. It will be a blessing to us. May I say this? There was a time in Judges chapter 16 that God put supermount strength upon Samson. He picked up the gates and the doorposts attached to them and for 38 miles, he carried the gates. And the Bible says he carried them up the hill, which is before Hebron, which is right outside that very place. And he set them down there. And I am seeing in that picture of Judges 16, my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ bearing upon Calvary's cross the sins of all mankind. And they buried him. But on the first day of the week, he arose victorious over death, hell, and the grave. Honey, he carried off the gates of the enemy and he arose that we might be saved. I don't have to sit around here in this land of desolation, in this land of sorrow, difficulty, and despair and weep and cry every single moment of my life because my Savior is alive and well and because he has victory, he's given you and I victory as well. 
There was an old boy. He got saved. He was a wicked boy. He got saved by the grace of God. He told his family, I'm going to witness to all my people. They love up in that holler. He's well over a hundred of them. I'm going to visit them. And he stood up and said, Preacher, if you ever hear that I'm dead, don't believe it. I'll be more alive than I ever was. And they recorded that in the service. One time they'd been up praying. Two preachers and that man. And he said, Lord, I'll pay any price. I'll do anything if my family could get saved. They all got together to go visit his family. As they were driving down the road, he knew, and he being the driver, knowing where they're going, the car starts slowing down and starts drifting a little bit off to the right-hand side of the road, and they realize he's suffering a medical condition. They got the car stopped finally. He had fell over dead. They jumped out of the car, called 911. The preachers were freaking out, and there sat that man slumped over the steering wheel going to see his family dead. Firefighters, first responders are getting there. And some of the families coming into that little cove, it goes back up towards that old, that, that old holler. And they saw him sitting there and they said, I bet he is coming to visit me. He was coming to tell me about Jesus. He was coming to tell me that he could change my life. Let me tell you what happened. They had his funeral. His funeral people got saved at his funeral. Not only did he get saved at his funeral, but revival broke out. Eighty-three people got saved over the course of four weeks. After that, oh boy, they happened to play at his visitation and funeral. That tape of him standing up and said, Preacher, if you hear I'm dead, don't believe it. I'm living like I've never lived before. Let me tell you something, honey. This world will suck the life out of you. This world will suck the joy out of you. This world will suck your fellowship one with another out of you. You'll sit here and judge and judge and judge. And you'll say, oh no, I'm saved. I don't judge. You lying dog. You judge everything going on. You, you judge how many people come to the altar while the singers were singing. You judge. You, Lord God, who made you judge? You should judge nothing. You need to judge yourself. You'll do well if you do that. I'm telling you this morning, I'm done. God told me to tell you that there is a field of faith that God has for your life. You don't need to run around here and be dead and dry and stagnant. It's good to have passion. Some of you, you think, well, I would never cry a tear. I'm way past shedding a tear. I'm not emotional. I don't believe in getting emotional at church. Preacher, I'm a little bit offended that you've got excited. You know what? Let me just talk to you for a second. God made you, and God made you to have emotions. Am I not to get excited because my Savior gave his life, shed his blood, that I might be saved? That's something I cry about. That's something I shout about. Am I not to be emotional that my Savior arose victorious over death, hell, and the grave? Am I not to be emotional that my sins are forgiven? Am I not to be emotional that there's a place at the table for me in heaven that's reserved? That makes me emotional. And I'll not apologize for it. There's a time to weep, a time to mourn. God, you stand, stand to your feet. I'm done.
I'm just trying to be obedient. Maybe there's somebody here today, somebody come play the piano, give him an invitation. Maybe there's somebody that said, Preacher Darren, I need to get in that old-fashioned altar this morning. I want to thank you, Father. I want to thank you, Father. Maybe there's some passion. Maybe there's some perception. Maybe there's a time you need to be standing this morning. You need to be serving. You need to be speaking. Oh, you need to come this morning. Right now, come on. Come on. God, deal with your heart. Preacher, I need to be saved. God's dealing with my soul, preacher Darren. Oh, preacher. 